Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry of Greystone Baptist Church here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I am Chrissy Tatum-Williamson, the senior pastor here at Greystone, and you may be used to hearing Anna Beth's voice first on these episodes, but she is on vacation, and so she has entrusted me with the responsibility of creating a podcast all by myself, of course, with the help of Jonathan, who runs everything behind the scenes. Um, Today, I am joined by my friend, Chris George, who is the senior pastor at Smoke Rise Baptist Church in the Atlanta metro area. Um, I've known Chris for a couple of years now, and um, but long before I knew Chris, I knew of his stellar reputation amongst Baptist pastors. Uh, we all know each other, or at least know of each other. Um, but I will say that Chris is um, really highly respected, um, well-known for being very intelligent um, and for being very committed to the testimonies of Jesus um, and to the Bible, which is why he is the perfect person to talk to today as we delve into questions about the Bible and the laws and the rules that we find um, within it. Uh, just a little bit of background on Chris, um, educational background to be specific. Um, he has an undergraduate degree from Samford University, um, a master's in divinity from Harvard Divinity School uh, with a focus in Christianity and culture. And his doctor of ministry is from Methodist Theological School, where he studied transformational leadership. Um, I asked him specifically about his um, his final paper for that uh, for that doctor of ministry, and he says it's about reclaiming the Baptist testimony tradition to enhance a sense of community in the congregation. So honestly, Chris, hearing that title, it makes me want to have you on for another episode because that just sounds really interesting. Um, Today, we're going to continue, though. We're going to focus on our Lenten series, um, asking honest questions um, with the goal of allowing the questions to transform our faith, to make it a little bit deeper, a little bit broader. Um, And each episode of our podcast along the way deals with a specific question um, meant to guide our conversation um, and to help folks um, expand kind of in understanding and in spiritual practices, um, ultimately in our relationship with God. Um, Today, we've got a really important question. And Chris, I don't want to lie um, to you or anyone who may be listening. Um, part of the reason we have a guest today, we have you, is because neither Annabeth nor I really wanted to answer this question. <laughs> we felt like it was absolutely the hardest question. So we we brought in you. <laughs> so the question today is, what is the relationship with the law and the rules of the Bible? Um, and more specifically, what are the rules in the Bible? And what authority do they have for our lives? Well, thanks. It is such a privilege to be with you today and um, to share in this podcast. I'm so glad you're asking these questions or taking these questions from your congregation and spending this season of of Lent seeking. Um, This is an important question. I hope you don't regret having me on. I'll try, (laughs) try to provide the best Um, that I have to offer, but this is certainly a question that not only have I wrestled with, that I am still wrestling with um, as I seek to better understand. I think when I was younger, if we would have talked about rules, it would have almost always been in a negative context. And I would have assumed uh, rules were in some way to prevent us from having fun. Yeah. (laughs) You could almost have a, a soundtrack in the background and the music would turn as soon as somebody said, here are the rules. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I've come to learn or believe, I guess, as I've gotten a little bit older, is that one of the really beautiful things, the Bible is filled with rules. 
mm-hmm. about rules is they tell us that what we do actually matters. Mm. And in a cool. world where so much is considered relative and even more so now, so many people are apathetic and we've become so individualistic, it's easy and cynical and skeptical. It's easy to believe what I do doesn't even really matter. Mm. And so I think rules have, it's an important conversation to have because they do remind us rules have matter and have mattered um, throughout human history and for people of faith and rules still do. Um, what we do is not meaningless. What we do makes a difference and what we don't do and what we leave undone makes a difference. And so um, I want to start, I guess, with kind of a positive assessment of rules that I wouldn't have had um, a number of years ago and especially growing up. But um but what? How do we determine these rules, and how do we interpret what we find in the Bible? Those those are the questions that we get to struggle with as congregations. And today, you and I in this conversation. Yeah. So I mean, that's so good, and I love that you just like name that straight out of the gate that that rules imply that we matter, like or that that our actions, what we do, matters. Because I think one of the biggest fears that many of us have, like those, like I grew up in a much more conservative, um, like rule based. Uh, yeah. community, right? I, when you said that the first time I kept hearing my grandfather say, I don't, what, what is that thing? Like, I don't dance and I don't drink and, or I don't drink, I don't dance and I don't run with girls. And, yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't, chew. I don't yeah. chew. Yeah. And so it's like all the things that you can't do. Right. Um, and, and that was very much drilled into our heads growing up. And so I can remember like, you know, we talk about the stages of faith and like the desert of criticism and how, when you learn that, like, it's not exactly how it was when you first learned about the Bible and the stories within it, it's kind of like you throw it all out. Yeah. But we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater to use that. Right, right. And so what you just said, the way that you described it, the fact that there are rules um, means that God cares about what we do and how we mm-hmm. live in community with those around us and with God. Um, so, I, and I've never heard anybody say it that way. So thank you for, oh, for pointing that out. So when you think about like what rules are in the Bible, which ones come to mind for you first? Well, the first ones I think I learned and had to memorize were the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. um, the big, the big ten, so the to big speak. ten. Um, and from there, it just seemed to get more complicated. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I knew that there were certain books that included a long list of rules. I'm thinking in terms of Leviticus, maybe Deuteronomy and Numbers. I don't know that I ever really read them or cared much about them. I just knew that they were there. And so in my mind, probably growing up, most of the Old Testament were rules. And Jesus came in part to free us from the rules. (laughs) Um, That was not a good interpretation, but that was sort of just what what I embraced or what I understood with a limited understanding. And so, um, but I am thankful that I learned the Ten Commandments um, as a child. I, I lament the fact that sometimes we in our rebellion against rules or in our new freedom in Christ and our tendency to ignore them, um, that we stop doing what I will always be thankful that I learned from my conservative upbringing, the memorization of scripture. And for me, that included the memorization of the 10 commandments. I can't quote them all to you now because I tried to do it last night and I realized it's been too long, but I used to know them all in King James version. Um, oh, good course, for you. That's how we memorized. But anyway, I, um, that's where I go first. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I think when I think about the rules, I think about the 10 commandments for sure. And I also had, um, 
I had the benefit of having a roommate in div school who did her senior thesis on Leviticus. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I God actually wanted, you. I wanted her to be a part of this too. And she was like, I don't know. I've forgotten so much of that because that's what, that's what we do. I think when we delve so deeply into the nitty gritty, um, but I, I can't think about the rules in the Bible without thinking about Leviticus. Hmm. Um, and uh, I think it's because in so many of our conversations, little snippets of Leviticus, like one or two words or like one phrase tend to be lifted up and projected onto people. Um, and often we choose the ones that really don't speak to us. Like I really love to eat shrimp. Um, and so I don't choose the texts that say that we shouldn't, um, because that makes me feel bad. Right. So I don't want to feel bad. So, um, so I, I, when I think about rules in the Bible, I, I think about Leviticus, um, and I think about the Pauline letters and what Paul says to the churches um, about who can and can't speak, um, mm. you know, how women's hair is to be wrapped, you know, like all the things yeah. that apply to women. Because, um, you know, I don't know if you've listened to the previous episodes, but in some of them, Anna Beth and I have kind of sorted through our own conservative upbringing and having to wrestle with the fact that our our very like vocation is a breach of some of those older rules. And so we've mm -hmm. had to do some, right. we've had to do some personal work around that, um, you know, just trying to acknowledge and follow the call of God, even when we felt God was calling us to break the rules, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, that, those are kind of the texts that come to mind for me. It's like the 10 commandments, Leviticus, and then um, Paul's words to the early churches and, um, and I can't help but like, uh, you know, I, I think about the greatest commandment and, um, and sometimes I just have to go back to like when, when really pressed on like, what do we do with all these rules? Um, sometimes I just have to say, you know what, like, I, I really don't know. It's part of the mystery of God and I'm prepared. I think, you know, if judgment day comes the way that my grandfather imagined it and like seared on my memory, uh -huh. um, then I'll just say, I'm sorry. I was really just trying to love like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And just kind of deal with it. Anyway, that was a long answer to your short question. <laughs> no, 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 that's great. I mean, I, I, I don't think the greatest commandment was emphasized enough in my childhood. And I'm not sure that I would have even considered that a rule. Mm -hmm. That was almost distinct from the rules, um, yeah. which were in other lists. And, uh, and Leviticus being one. Of, I mean, we always... People have a tendency to use, especially texts from Leviticus, um, texts that they like, they will quote, especially if it allows them to po point fingers at other people. Right. Texts that cause them to look in the mirror, we have a tendency to ignore or to dismiss as outdated. And um, we have to be pretty careful when we do such selective readings. I mean, I think that we all do, to a certain degree, selective reading and selective interpretation of the yes. text. But if Baptists, if, if we are people of the book, then I believe strongly that we have to take the Bible seriously. And we really have to wrestle with um, even the rules and trying to understand um, what they said and who they were intended for. And there's nothing wrong with asking the question of why. Church I grew up with asking questions of why, you know, it was sort of like when you ask your parents why I can't do this or that. And I said, just because, well, okay. I sort of imagine that's how rules work with God too, just because it's there. And um, on, I have a different understanding of relationship with God now.
And I actually think it's more biblical, um, this notion of wrestling with God and Jesus being bold and reinterpreting even the rules of his day, and at yeah. times doing things, at least on the surface, that look like actually breaking the rules yes. and consistently being criticized for it. So, yeah. so like, I'm glad that you brought up Jesus and how Jesus appears to break the rules, because that's one of the things I want to ask you about. Like. So I think when we when we read Jesus in the Gospels and we see the Pharisees and Sadducees and you know whoever else kind of trying to trap him um, in in those rule breaking moments, healing on the Sabbath, touching a hemorrhaging woman, you know whatever whatever egregious thing that Jesus is doing, you know somebody's yeah. there to say, hey, you know you broke this rule. Um, now Jesus already always has like a the the better response, right? He always knows. He knows it's coming and he knows how to respond. And Jesus has the benefit of literally a direct line to God. Right. And right. we don't. And so how do you navigate that? Like, how do you know when when to quote unquote break the rule or appear to break the rule for the sake of, of how God's calling you forward? Well, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think it in part goes into one of the things I guess I use as almost an interpretive approach to the rules in the text, which is look beyond whatever the rule is, Pauline or Levitical, and try to discover what the principle at work is beyond the practice itself. Mm -hmm. Because I think practices are both time and context informed, and principles can point us toward the timeless truths that may be embodied in different ways in the time that we're living in. And I think that's in large part what Jesus was doing, was saying, you've missed the principle in the way that you've understood, you know, everything from divorce to swearing to lust, you know, there's a bigger principle at work. And so really the, the entire Sermon on the Mount is Jesus reinterpreting the law, but pointing back toward the principles and saying, no, no, this is bigger than that law. Mm. This is not just about this single practice. And if you don't do it, you're okay. It's calling us to a different kind of life. Um, and those practices may look different today in our world, just as they look different in Jesus' day than in the world that the, the commandments were originally written or the Levitical code was composed. Wow. So that's another great nugget is that the differences between the practices and the principles. Um, I love that. Um, and some of the things like we both kind of named Leviticus, and I think that's a really popular kind of <laughs> book for people to go to, to pick and, and choose. Yeah. Um, when we think about the Levitical codes, is there, is there anything that you can help us kind of break down and understand? Um, and I'm putting you on the spot. This is a really tricky Bible trivia question, but can you like, can you help us kind of unpack what was happening there and like what the, what, what are the principles from some of the Levitical codes that are important for us to to keep in mind as we're kind of navigating those practices? Yeah. I mean, so many of those codes are written, first of all, in a very like agrarian society. And that's part of why it's so confusing. You know, it's, it's how you plant your fields, not only about what you have in your diet. It's, you know, all, I mean, from sexual practice, to everything else, they're written in a time and in a place that seems so foreign to us. And that's why I think that for the most part, we ignore them and just grab bits and pieces when it's beneficial for whatever argument that we're making. But I mean, I think overall, the Levitical code is calling um, the people of God 
to be a holy people that are set apart, mm-hmm. that are living differently and in a way that is radically countercultural to the world that they are up against or, or set within. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I think that countercultural calling is timeless. Um, yeah. And I think it is difficult uh, to be, it is as difficult today to be countercultural as it was in that day. The way and shape it, it takes form is different, but it's still a timeless call to holiness and to be different from the world that we're in. Doesn't mean everything we do has to be different, but to evaluate why we're doing the things that we're doing and why we have accepted the things that are being done around us without asking questions. Um, and so the practices then, I think, are, are a little more time sensitive and a little bit more difficult to carry all of them through. But, um, but those principles of being countercultural and a call to be holy because we are the people of God. And by the way, that the Levitical code was never meant for all people in all places. The <laughs> yes. Levitical code was written for yeah. a certain group of people who God had called to live in a certain way. Yes. And so I think there's a real tendency in all, and Pauline, we can go Paul too. There's a real tendency to try to universalize every rule or law within the text of the scripture and fail to recognize the context. Paul, all of these letters, Paul would be stunned. Truly, I believe <laughs> Paul would be stunned yeah. that we are reading his letters as a source for law. Yeah. Paul was trying to clean up a gigantic mess. Jesus left and didn't leave great orders for how the church was supposed to work. And Paul is setting this up in Gentile land where people have no idea what even Jewish rules are. And Paul is speaking these rules for the first time. And while we think they sound um, draconian, and many times they are, if you know the context, they're actually fairly radical in the world that he's speaking them into. And so again, one of the, like the principal practice things, women wearing your head covered in that day for a woman to go into worship with her head uncovered would be an act of unbelievable arrogance and pride. That's the timeless principle. None of us should enter into our sacred spaces or the worship of God with a proud heart. Mm. or arrogance in our hearts, we should all enter with humility. It may not look like having something on our head or not having something in our head, but it does look like embracing a humility that um, enables us to enter the presence of God authentically, but in the right spirit so that we can meet God in that place and be changed and, and hopefully become more holy like the Levitical code even speaks of. So, Gosh. Yeah. I mean, Yes, to all of that. And um, and how hard it is, like when we think about words, like when we when we approach the Bible, um, there are we have uh, we have translation issues always because we're not reading the original languages, nor are we reading the second language that it was translated yeah. into. I mean, we have multiple steps of translation choices that separate us from the, the original words, you know, written. Right. And even then there's layers of time and transmission between when these events happened um, or when the stories originated and when they were recorded. So we have so much stuff that separates us that sometimes we come to the text and we can read for an hour and say, I have no idea what I just read. 
<laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the words, they, they, they're not even our, even the English translations, they're not things we talk about. They're not things we understand. They make zero sense to us. And so when we see a word that does make sense to us, women, you know, yeah, save, yeah. um, uh, outcast, sinner, you know, marriage, like we, we think, Oh, that's something I know. And so we just jump straight there and start applying things as if it's a one-to-one. But what, what I think is, is harder is for us to say, now, wait a minute. When I think about this, like, I think slavery and marriage are great examples. When I think about slavery, I will never think about that without thinking about chattel slavery that took place in the, in the United States, you know, for 400 years ago, 1609 to, you know, to, um, really 1963 or some would argue carries on. So like there's a lot there that was never in the mind of Jesus or anyone who was writing any of these sacred texts and marriage is the same way. You know, when, when people were coming to the text and defining what a, what a holy faithful committed marriage was in the ancient world, they couldn't, I don't believe that there even was an idea of like a, cho- a chosen love match, unless we're talking about Jacob and Rebecca. No, Rachel, sorry. Right. Jacob, right. I get the J's mixed up, Joseph and Jacob. It's Jacob and, and yes. Rachel. Yeah. Leah's sister. I remember Leah, Leah too, right? By right. the way, there's multiple wives constantly in the Old Testament. There's multiple wives and, constantly. You know, this and is additional, not- like additional partners in the, in, in the marriage, like really, whether yeah. or not it was a second marriage but just the whole thing, like it's not, we see the word and we think about our specific iteration of marriage or our specific iteration of slavery or our specific iteration of worship or our specific iteration of X, Y, and Z. Anyway, I think I've gone on and on long enough about that topic, but I, I would love to see us at least notice when we do that, when we read the scripture so that we can yeah, say, yeah, no, okay, that's exactly, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. And Instead, so what we do is we're reading it through our lenses yes. and the baggage that we bring and the limitations that we have, the things we can't understand, we can ignore. Even the metaphors themselves don't resonate or ring in the way they did for the original readers or the original hearers. Right. And so if we could find a way to say, okay, let me do the very best I can to understand this text and its context. Yes. I think that's one of the real keys to unlocking the principle Mm -hmm. and then saying, okay, now I've got to figure out what I'm bringing to the text, but also what this text says about the world that I'm living in, Mm -hmm. because this is what it said to that world. You know, I think about, um, we've, we've mentioned the women and submission and children and, um, slaves that Paul and those household codes. But when you recognize a given in the Roman world was a household code and it was a one-way code that was slaves obey your masters, wives obey your husbands, children obey your fathers. There was no other code. That was the whole of the household code. And for Paul to be writing and say, and fathers don't provoke your children. Mm -hmm. This is, that's radical. That's a foreign language for them. They're yeah. hearing this and thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> fathers don't have that responsibility. And Paul says, no, you do. That's you right. have a whole new rule if you're following Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is a different way to live. Now, he doesn't throw away the child rule and he doesn't, you know, sometimes I wish he would have changed some of the language around submission. But when you say, 
And husbands, you're to love your wife in the way that Christ loves the church and gave his life for it. Husbands had never been called to do anything. Husbands, in a sense, truly had the advantage in divorce, had the advantage in almost all. And suddenly Paul says, no, this is a two-way street. This is a radical departure. And that understanding, that principle of like all of our relations are two-way, it's never one person. And again, the slavery is horrific. And I certainly wish it would have been more explicitly condemned. But even then to say, masters, this is your responsibility. And the responsibility is you are to treat your slave the way you would treat Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is, we're mad about the rules that we read because we're only reading them selectively. The parts that offend us and we fail to recognize Oh, he's offering a whole nother set of rules that didn't even exist yeah. prior to this in the time that he's writing and radically challenging his culture in a way that most of us never will. Right. So, and Jesus does the same. I mean, over and over again. So um, anyway, the more I read the rules of the Bible, actually, the more liberation yeah. that I discover um, within them. And as long as they're read looking for context and trying to seek principles instead of, so you're no longer asking just what it says or how we do this. That's the practice part. You're asking why it says that, not how, and you can ask how they did it then. And how do we do this now? Yes. That's what we have to wrestle with as a church. And that's the importance of church because we're a community of believers, priests are the believers that we all get together and say, this is how I see it. This is how I think that gets lived out. This is how I practice humility Um, because it's not just self-degradation, which is oftentimes, you know, masqueraded as humility. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting into preaching mode. No, I love it. I want you to to keep on because when we honestly, like one of the reasons that Annabeth and I did not want to have this conversation was we just had no energy for like immersing ourselves back in these rules, which, you know, for us have very specific forms of oppression in our memory. Um, And so there's, we bring our own baggage to it, but what you've done as a good preacher would do is you have challenged me to be excited about it again, because the, the piece about like God calls us to live differently. Like that is what we're about. As a congregation at Greystone, that's what your people are about at Smoke Rise. That's what we're about as, you know, a network of Baptist churches and CBF life. And hopefully that's what we're about as a global community of people who who proclaim Christ as Lord is, you know, we ha- we can remember that baptismal promise where we say, nope, Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Yeah. Right. And if we could let that guide our interpretation, I mean, I think you and I were talking about this in another setting, but like the the idea of the, the way that our politics invade our churches like that wouldn't be an issue because that is conforming to the world that is not embracing a new identity and a new reality mm-hmm. that Christ offers us just like we're freed from ideas about how women and men may function in society we're also freed from how republicans and democrats should function in society and we've got to figure out what that means for us how are we going to live differently given that we know we're called to. Right. Absolutely. And then reclaiming the rule that, that you grew up with maybe more strongly than I did that great commandment and saying, okay, this is the lens through which I'm going to interpret Mm -hmm. the rest of these rules. That's right. Because it's not possible. All nobody 
believes that all rules have the same standing. Right. Um, or at least not in practice. Right. Um, and so it becomes how do we understand in those moments where there's tension and when these things don't go eye to eye, that becomes the interpretive lens where you say, okay, it's first and foremost about loving God yes. and about loving your neighbor. Yep. And how does that rule conform to that? Where's the tension in that? And how, how can the principle in that rule be played out in loving God and loving your neighbor? Yeah. And you know, that's so much harder because it's so nuanced. Oh yeah, of course. Like instead of just memorizing 10 commandments and legalistically making sure that in my own interpretation, I'm living those 10 commandments. Now I have to take a, a new lens to every decision I make every day and every interaction that I'm in. And I have to now discern in every moment of my life, what does love of neighbor look like? What does love of God look like in the way I drive my car? Like, I don't want to do that. That's a lot of work, Chris. <laughs> yes. And then love of neighbor includes love of the enemy. Yeah. Which unfortunately in today's world is oftentimes defined ideologically or politically and to say, no, 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 it's easy for me to love that neighbor because I agree with them. Yeah. I'm going to stand beside them. But but what does it mean to love the neighbor who absolutely disagrees with you and still to love them where they are? And I mean, to a certain degree, I think loving is listening. Yeah. Did a Bible study last week on James, which is unbelievably practice, practical and unbelievably rule-based. <laughs> you know, it's James that says, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And in that study, I was saying, man, we need to reclaim these three rules because the culture we live in is exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. It is slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger. Mm-hmm. And That's we're so be good. Following Jesus, yeah. That's so good. Um, remember that because in a minute, when I do like a rapid, well, it's not a rapid fire. I'm going to ask you to do like a um, an improv top ten or something like that. So hang on. But I do want to lift up one of the things that we've been kind of getting around, and I just want to stay it plain. Like I think a lot of times, and and probably in in your characterization of practices and principles, um, we forget that every time any kind of rules or laws or codes or whatever exists in scripture, it is within, and you said it when you're talking about the per peculiar relationship that the people of Israel had with God, but it's always in the context of that relationship. Mm, so yeah. it's not like we have random, we, we don't have random rules. They're always in codes, lists, you know, purity codes, Levitical um, lists about household regulations, um, um, rules about how we enter into worship. There's a, there's always a broader context. There's never a, a just like, um, I'll just use a shrimp example. Like it, there's never in the Bible, a place where anyone says like, just don't eat shrimp. Like everyone right, right. just don't do it. It's always in the, in the context of something bigger and something that is ultimately, um, relational with God. Right. No. And you're exactly right. And that's the 10 commandments start with three relational commandments before we get to the rules of don't kill and don't this and don't that it is, I am the Lord, your God. Yep. You know, that's, that's the grounding for all of the other commandments that come yeah. after it. And we lose sight even, of that. We do, but like, even those 10 are within the context of the wilderness struggle. Right. I mean, they're within the context of the people who are, I mean, can you imagine being on the road for 40 years and not getting hangry? Like, of course they want to kill each other. Like, Absolutely. I mean, they need yeah. that very practical rule. Right, um, right, 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 right. It's not to say that we should ignore that one. I'm not a proponent of that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Just to remember that. That was a baseline. Just don't kill each other. Jesus had to come later and say, really, you shouldn't be that angry at each other. But Moses couldn't go there. He's just like, just don't (laughs) kill each other. You're going to be angry. We've been traveling a long time. Road trips make everybody angry. I got (laughs) You know that it's it's insane. So we we give up trying to keep kids not angry. We just say we're not going to kill each other in the back of the car. You know we're going to get there together. So. I love that you've given up on the like don't touch each other. You know oh, like, that, that's yeah, going to that, happen. That, that battle, go. yeah. That <laughs> over, so. Oh man. Okay. Well, I have learned so much today, Chris, and I want to thank you for oh, I love getting to be all here. that it's you brought us. Fun, so I'm not. You're not off the hook yet. There's oh. one more thing. So I want to know if you could, without doing any homework, without preparing, if you were going to come up with a list of 10, and if you look really stunned, I can see him on Zoom right now, but um, if if you can't come up with 10, then you can come up with five um, rules for us today that you think get at the principles um, that you find in scripture. Um. Going back to the great commandment, loving God and loving neighbor is always the the beginning of that journey. Those would be the first two. Um, (laughs) Two. Thank you for milking that one and getting two out of it. (laughs) I think that, uh, yeah, I think that, um, I don't know if I can put them in order after that, but these are some that are really near and dear to me. Um, Humility, Mm -hmm. not to be proud or arrogant, Mm -hmm. that that is the source of so many of the conflicts that exist and so much of the anger and seems to be more prevalent in the world we live in than, than anything, any time in my lifetime. Um, yeah. And to have the humility to listen. Um, I'll tell you another thing that's really near and dear to me. And it's in a list in one of Paul's letters. It's this list of all these terrible sins, you know, licentiousness and gossip and all the rest. And in the very middle of this list, it says ungrateful. Ooh. And if I could give my children one gift, it would be gratitude. Wow. Yeah. That to me is not normally seen as a rule, but if I could instill that within them, because I really think the way of gratitude is the way of peace and that the world that we live in, um, it is because we've lost sight. I, you know, I would have thought growing up, I would have thought being grateful is bonus and being ungrateful is normal. And yep. to see it in a list of sins, along with some of the things I would have thought are the vilest sins and ungrateful mm-hmm. is listed there as one of those rules. I think that's amazing. Um, yeah. So that that would be one of mine that's fairly fresh and new um, for me. Uh I mean, I, I do think the call to be holy is timeless. Um, and that means set apart and in some ways, probably in almost all times countercultural. I love that. I think that's about five. That may be the six. I wasn't going to tell you, but you made it to six. So you're good. You're good. I'll give you you an A minus. If you had 10, I would have given you an A plus, but next time. Next time, That's, those, <laughs> tough, those quick questions are tough. So I know. I mean, I'm impressed. But um, well, thanks again, Chris, for being here, and I um, uh, hope to have you around sometime, um, either virtually or in person at Greystone. We'd just um, love to learn more from you, and are so grateful for you taking the time to do this. Privilege. Thankful for you. Thankful for your ministry, and thankful for your congregation. And wish you all the blessings uh, this Lenten season, and hope that your Easter celebration is wonderful. Thank you, Chris. Yep. Bye bye. Bye. Bring God's ring here and in the light.